is Daniel 6. It's um, one of the more beloved, well-known stories, especially with children. And it has the danger of being categorized with, this is a children's story. It is far, far more important than that. It really is. It's an amazing, amazing story. It's, it's um, hopefully when we're done taking a look at it this morning, we'll be able to realize the power that it has and the intent that God's Spirit was trying to communicate to us that we can grasp that. So Daniel, um, the book of Daniel, written in the Word of God, this book is our instruction manual to how to live life. Everything in it, it's not just a little bit of history or whatever, it's all apropos to our lives today. So in this instruction manual, and we come to Daniel 6, it's winding it up with the historical part of Daniel 6, because then we're going to get into some pretty meaty stuff that's going to take us into the future. So it's also very important that we're having the story of Daniel in the lion's den here before we start getting into some of that stuff that can be a little bit unnerving, okay? We started up now, the, the um, kingdom has been, has a new king. We found out from last week, the last verse of chapter 5, that Darius the Mede received the kingdom and he was about 62 years old. The fact that he received the kingdom kind of tells us that he wasn't a king in royal line. He, someone like assigned him the kingdom. So whatever that is, because some historians can't find any kind of record of King Darius or whatever. It could have been a title, whatever. We're not going to get into that because we're going to believe the word of God is the word of God. If you want to dig more into that, you can find out that Darius was maybe the title for like king or something like that. Or he was somebody's son or whatever. But the fact is he is now set over the kingdom. He's in charge of the kingdom. And he now wants to bring in 120 officers or satraps or whatever to be throughout the whole kingdom because it was a huge place okay big widespread so it's a way to govern the people and over all these uh, uh, areas each had their own representative 120 he picked three presidents so 60 of these were under each president and then the word says of whom Daniel was one it does not say that Daniel was one of these. It says Daniel was one. He was first. He was either the first chosen or he was first in rank, but he was one. Okay? Right now there's three of them, but he was more predominant than the other ones. And these three administrators all were accountable directly to Darius. Um, so we're finding out Daniel's about 70 plus years old right now. God has preserved his life through this exile. And not just that, he has blessed him and rewarded him and promoted him and taken care of him. We found out that Daniel resolved to follow God early on. And that resolution to follow God didn't kill him off. For Daniel, it, it, it just made his light shine even brighter in the area where God had planted him. 
He became the finest statesman in the greatest world empire of his day in Babylon. Huge, important empire. And Daniel was promoted up to being very important, one of the finest ones. Verse 3 tells us this. Then this, this Daniel, I love that, became distinguished above all the other presidents. Okay, these three presidents now. Uh-oh, Daniel's now becoming more important. His light's shining a little bit brighter. He's doing a better job than these other two guys. And because of his excellent spirit was in him, which meant that his excellent spirit was he had the right attitude. He just had the right attitude. He was pleasant. He didn't whine and grumble. Um, he just was, it was pleasant for Darius to work with him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So there was another promotion that was going to happen here. The king was getting ready to set Daniel over these other two. So you can see how the plot is thickening here. Daniel wasn't anything different than to do what God had told the exiles to do from, Je from Jeremiah 29. We've looked at this, Jeremiah 29, years before. God tells them, you will go into exile. And when you do, you will go ahead and build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their product, produce, take wives and have families. And you will seek the welfare of the city where I have set you in. But you don't take it on. You don't compromise and become like them. But you, you contribute to it and you make it a better place. So Daniel was doing this. So we've got some tension in this hierarchy of the kingdom. Verse 4 says, Then the presidents... And the satraps, so it was the two presidents, and I don't know how many, if it was 120 of those guys or not, sought to find a complaint against Daniel. I don't know why that's fading in and out. Um, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. They didn't like him because, I don't know why we're getting intermittent, um, they did not like him because he was faithful. He was faithful because he had resolved to follow God. He had resolved to make God his and serve him, the creator, the most high God. That's who he was following. And when we do that, it builds strong character. Our life goes well. Things are good. Faithful to that. They were mad at him for that. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. Now, they're not implying that he was sinless. We're not saying that he was sinless. But he was a man of great integrity. And there's a difference there. We're going to sin. We're going to even intentionally sin sometimes. But you know what? The closer we walk with God and the longer we walk with God, the less time we spend in that conviction mode, right? We do something that's like, oh, this is really, I've got to make this right, or I know I shouldn't do this, or whatever. So he had great integrity. There were no skeletons in his closet. He was free from corruptions. He couldn't be bought, and he couldn't be manipulated. And you know what? Maybe that was the problem here, too. Because we know 
when we get up there with government and politicians, there's a lot of corruptions. It's who you know, it's who you pay off, it's whatever, it's favors. When I get here, I'll owe you this, and I'm going to promote you. And we see it, it's in the, it's, I'm not even going to go there. It's just blatant, just blatant favoritism and stuff. Daniel couldn't be bought. He didn't have this in him, so they were, he was kind of standing in the way because they knew they couldn't corrupt him at all. Matthew 5, 16 says, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, there's going to be some people that are going to give you glory for doing the right thing and being an honest person, but there's also going to be others who don't like that. And just the nature of it is going to cause a bunch of enemies. And that's what he's got here. These other two presidents and some of the other leaders were really starting to get angered and irked. Daniel was standing in the way of, of whatever they had happen that they wanted to go. Because these three presidents were there so that Darius would not suffer a loss. Um, it was almost a protective shield there for Darius. So Daniel was standing in the way of maybe some foul play happening. Verse 5 says, these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. We go back in time to Cain and Abel. There's always been hostility between God's people and others. It's just, it's given. Beware of the man that is liked by everybody, okay? And when we remind ourselves that we don't belong here, this isn't, well, we, we don't, it's not our home. We're aliens. We're pilgrims here. We're like in exile, kind of like Daniel in this world. We don't belong here. Therefore, there's going to be a lot of hostility and tension and hatred and from, from most of the people, except for those who are in God's family. So these other leaders, they knew Whatever would happen that Daniel would be, the thing they knew most positive about Daniel was that he's going to be faithful to his God in all circumstances. So they're going to have to come up with some kind of clever ploy. And remember, they have Satan's cleverness behind all this. This isn't just man's own devices trying to come in here and interrupt stuff. So they're going to plot some more. Verse 6 says, Then these presidents and satraps, by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the, are in agreement. Now right there's a lie. Is, are all the presidents in agreement? Isn't Daniel one of the presidents? Where's Daniel? But the poor king is probably trusting these guys and believing that, okay, they're all, including Daniel's, involved with this. And they come and they appeal to Darius's pride. Right? They come to him and say, oh, King Darius, live forever. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just for 30 days set up a law that says everybody has got to pray to you and, and ask you for everything they need and, and just we just give all divine art. You're the one. You're the center. Um, and so Darius is like, yeah, 
This is cool. I'm the, I'm the center. They recognize me. I'm the giver of all good gifts. They ask me. I can give them. It all comes from me. They have to pray to me and worship me and everything. This is just like Nebuchadnezzar and that golden statue set out in the middle of the plain, right? Everyone bow down and worship him and honor him and stuff like that. So what they're doing is they're, they're appealing to his pride and his desire to unify the kingdom. Everyone can center around me. I'll pull everybody together. Identify himself as the source of all things. Basically saying, yeah, I'm God. I am sovereign. Here we have it again. The two kingdoms, God's kingdom and the kingdoms of the world, clashing The most high God and his kingdom is sovereign over everything. And this constant rebellion and hatred toward God and and just rejection and I will be better than, I will set myself above, above the most high. I will, I will. That resistance to any kind of submission to the creator continues on. And this is what is going through Darius's thinking because these people are putting it in his mind. And they're pushing him to make a decree because the Persian law said if a decree is made, it's unchangeable. Why on earth is that? Why is it so unchangeable? Because they believed that the Persian king spoke on behalf of the gods. And if he's speaking on behalf of the gods who could never be wrong, There's not a need to change anything. That's where this philosophy comes from. The king decrees it, and he's speaking on behalf. The gods told him what to say, and he's, you know, whatever. He's, like, representing God to us. And he says this, well, can't change it, because that would be admitting they're wrong. So, king says, okay. He signs the decree. And it's for 30 days. Okay. 30 days, that's not such a long time, 30 days. You could compromise. Daniel could maybe put off praying. He could maybe pray with his window closed. He could maybe pray in bed at night or under the covers or whatever. He could just not make it publicly known. Um, I believe that absolutely none of these thoughts occurred to him. But I want to point out this. This was in United Kingdom, so I don't know if any of you picked up on this, if it made our news. A lot of stuff doesn't make our news that's worthwhile. Last December 22nd, in the United Kingdom, a woman, I think she was president or director of the um, Right for Life march or something, standing outside the abortion clinic, crossed the street on the sidewalk, And she was standing there silently, all by herself. Wasn't a protest, anything. UK police come by and and ask her what she's doing. No, they don't ask what she's doing. They they say, are you praying? And she says, I might be in my head. They arrest her. They arrest her for and accuse her of failing to comply with public space protection order. This is thought police. This is the woman was praying in her head. And she was, and this happens today. Okay? Just to be aware of this stuff. 
So the storm clouds are starting to gather around Babylon's kingdom there. They're starting to accumulate and everything, and this edict is laid out, and these guys are just kind of, okay, we've got them, we've got them, we've got them, we've got them. God will take us into the eye of the storm, and you get into the eye of the storm, it's quiet in there, but to get to the eye of the storm, it's pretty rough. He brings us in there to the eye of the storm to show us that he's the master of the storm and that he can make our little fragile vessel float safely through the other side. He's in charge. He is sovereign. The whole point of these trials and these turbulence that we come up with is for him to let us know he's got this. I can't tell you, ladies how this is making an impact on my life with stuff. We all have garbage in our life. We all do. But this has made me stop and pause. You've got this, God. I just need to stay true. I need to be Daniel in this instance. Okay, let's keep going. We'll get to that. As hoped for by his enemies, lo and behold, Daniel is true to himself, and he continues to serve his God because he was resolved to do so as a teenager, And he's going to pray. Nothing changed for Daniel. This is our point. The world out there is changing. The world out there is falling apart. We know it is. We're told it is going to. So many things change. Constant change. Satan's the uh, orchestrator of chaos, confusion. He, her, it, what, uh, you know. And the world's going to get like your yes will be yes. And, I mean, uh, good will be bad and bad will be good. It's going to be turned upside down. That's part of the chaos. That's the storm. But God doesn't change. And so the, we don't change either in how we take life and the things we do to obey God. Daniel knew God was sovereign. He knew he was sovereign. So in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed... Did he panic? Did he say, oh no, what am I going to do? Did he put curtains on his window? No, he went to his house where he had the windows to his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Nothing changed for the man. Nothing. Enemies were coming at him. Satan prowling around like a lion looking just to get you. Nothing's changed for Daniel. Oh, hello. What does he start to do? (laughs) He starts to pray and give thanks and petitions. Um, He got done on his knees three times as he has prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And then these men came by the agreement and found Daniel doing that, making petitions and plea before his God. So if you, weren't, if you missed the opening, you missed Dixie telling us about gratitude. He came to God in gratitude, giving thanks. That came first, gratitude. Then petitions and plea. Do you read that in that sentence there in that verse? giving thanks, thanks and gratitude for for who God is. This is what Daniel did. He's about to get thrown into the lion's den, good chance of it, and yet he's thanking God. Um, So it starts with 
thanksgiving, when we pray with God, and then our petitions and our pleads come. Daniel's only decision that he had to make was he's going to continue doing it. It wasn't even a no-brainer. It wasn't a test of loyalties. It wasn't a, a go and run into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and finding out, hey, what should we do? He just knew. I'm just going to continue on. The decree did not change anything, any action one way or another. He continued with his excellent prayer life. Let's just look at his prayer life um, and what was the custom. Because I think this is important to take a look at this. It tells us in there a couple things. One, two, three, four, five things we want to pull out. First, he was persistent because he had resolved to do it. He was persistent. And resolve, the word means to make a firm decision. Made a firm decision early on in his life, I'm going to serve God. And when we make a firm decision, you don't have to remake it or you don't have to second guess it or you don't have to reevaluate it. He made a firm decision to follow after his God so that he was persistent. We see that he was in his upper room. So it was private prayer. It wasn't made like the Sadducees and the Pharisees out on the thing. Whoa, we, you know, praying for these people. I'm so much better than that. There was no kind of intent to impress anybody. People saw him because he did it by his window facing Jerusalem, but he wasn't doing it to, to get, gain attention. So it was a private prayer. It was a relationship he had with God. His open, windows were open toward Jerusalem. According to scripture, if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 8 and 30, Solomon is dedicating the temple and he's praying. He's, he's, he's um, publicly praying, corporately praying on behalf of the people. May you hear the supplicate to God. May you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. So back then with Solomon... Solomon knew the day would come when God's people would sin so greatly they would be taken into exile. So he was praying with that knowledge in hand. And when that did happen, the Lord would have them deported out of the promised land. And Solomon asked that when that tragedy occurred, when they were removed from the promised land, that they, and, and when they turned, their, turned back to the Lord in the land of their enemies, praying towards the temple, the Lord would hear their prayers and show them favor in the eyes of their captors. You can take a look at 1 Kings chapter 8. When they turn around and repent of the sin that got them out of the promised land in the first place, and while they're in their enemy ter- as exiles, they repent and they pray towards the temple that God would hear their prayers. That's why they were praying towards the temple. We have religions now that mock that, but this is where this is going now. Okay, he was also on his knees. All right, let's take a look at that. Praying on our knees. First of all, Jesus prayed on his knees in Luke 22 in the garden. It says that he was on his knees. In Acts 7, verse 60, Stephen, when he was being stoned, he fell to his knees and he prayed to God to forgive these people. In Acts 9, we see that Peter, 
fell on his knees and prayed for God to restore the life of Orcus. Also in Acts chapter 20, we see Paul and the church leaders of the Ephesus church, when they were saying goodbye to Paul, they were on their knees praying. And then also in Acts 21, um, when Luke, um, when when they were going over to Jerusalem and they had a layover, and the people were saying, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. They were saying goodbye. They were on their knees on the beach praying. Why, why is this important? Kneeling is a begging posture. And we must all come to God as beggars. It's that mindset. And I'm not saying you should always do that. I'm just saying the importance of doing that, a physical thing when we do that, is a pleading and a coming to God. It is a, a, in, in a beggar's mentality. And we should. We're not all high and mighty on our high horse dictating to God what he should do for us. It should be out of gratitude and thanksgiving. And then our pleads are there in that, in that position. All right. Three times a day. Where did that come from, three times a day? Well, that's an interesting thing. The patriarchs set this up. It's not in Scripture to do it that way. It's more of a Jewish thing, but I'll share with you where that came from. Abraham instituted the prayer in the morning. It comes from when God, when Jesus and the angel were going to go in and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's Abraham sitting outside his tent, and he sees these three angelic hosts coming toward him, and he entertains them and whatever, and he feeds them and all that stuff, and, and it, um, they, they tell him what they're going to do with Sodom, and, and Abraham is talking to God. He's talking to Christ, fig, uh, the you know, Old Testament um, manifestation of Christ he's talking to him praying to him talking to him pleading to him on back of on behalf of Sodom so that was a morning time Genesis 18 Isaac instituted the evening prayer where does that come from Genesis 24 when Isaac was out in the field waiting for them to bring his bride back to him he was out in the field praying when Rebecca arrives with her maidens. And the third one is Jacob. This one is an evening prayer or, or after dark. Genesis 28, when Jacob was, lays his head on a rock, I never quite got a hold of that one, to sleep, and he had the, the dream of the ladder. So that's where the Jewish um, religion comes up with these praying three times a day. We can see that more as praying without ceasing or praying constantly or even taking a break and making a mental attitude. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to kneel down. I'm really going to pray about this. All right. And the final thing is he prayed and gave thanks because prayer is filled with thanksgiving. Prayer and praise always go arm in arm up to heaven. All right. Daniel knew um, what was about to happen, and he's just going to carry on. These men, these other two presidents and some of the satraps, they knew that Daniel would probably go to the lions, you know, instead of being caught, 
um, not praying to his God. They knew that about him, that he was that faithful in prayer. That even the lion's den and the ferocious, the horrible death of being torn apart by vicious animals, um, he, would, he would probably voluntarily do that. So they found him in deep prayer, um, and they went and they told the king about it. So our memory verse in Acts was basically when we are finding ourselves in a situation where man's laws, the laws of the land, are violating God's land, Peter tells us we must obey God rather than... And we saw some of this this last year. Don't gather together. What's that about? God tells us, commands us, do not forsake assembling together. So we're being tested with some of these things, ladies. Um, So hopefully we'll go back and remember the story of Daniel. All right, so nothing changed for Daniel. How about Darius? What changed for him? (laughs) He went from a self-styled God to a fool in one day, didn't he? Man, did he fall. He, on his knee, maybe he fell flat on his face. I don't know. Because he had, they, he, he, they, they, they duped him. Here it is. They set him up with that. His pride got in the way. He made a poor decision. And now the best servant he had, the best president he had, he was about to promote him, was, was going to die because of some stupid thing that he did. He didn't blame it on anybody. He took... He took responsibility for it, but here's the thing. He was caught in a bad situation because it says that he just went around and he just kind of struggled with it. He heard that he was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel in verse 14, and he labored till sun. When the sun went down you know, to try to rescue him, he couldn't figure out what to do because he could have changed the law. There were some things, in the Esther story too, there were some things they could have done. But for Darius to change the law, he would have had to admit he made a mistake. He would have probably had to admit that, yeah, the gods, he's not really a spokesman for the gods, I don't know. So he would have lost a lot of his reputation and his credibility had he done that. So to save face, he, go ahead, I guess Daniel's going to have to be sacrificed, and he sends him off to the lion's den. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of the lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, not my God or the Most High God, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was rolled over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his signet ring and the other one's rings to make sure nothing was going to break in. No one went to do hanky-panky with him. And verse 18, And then the king went to his palace and slept the night, spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept, slept fled from him. He was tormented. That night of his um, was pretty bad. Darius had some faith because he believed that Daniel had a strong faith and maybe Daniel's God, he, he maybe even believed that Daniel's God could have done it. I, I think he was hoping that, that Daniel's God could do this. Um, 
because Daniel trusted his God, and so Darius was at a point where uh, I did the best to say, but I can't. I can't. We're limited. We can't. We can't play God. We can't do those things. Now it's up to God. And many times God brings us to a situation like that to take it out of our hands, and we have to knowingly admit it's out of our hands and submit to, to God's help in it. How did Daniel spend the night? Did you guys have fun thinking about this? <laughs> How many of you thought he laid there and heard the, the lions purring? Did anybody come up with that? I, was, I had my grandkids in the car yesterday, and we were talking a little bit about the lesson, and um, Oliver asked me, um, why was God mean to the lions? And it got me thinking, you know, if, if God held the lions, you know, mouth shut, and they were so hungry, why did he... I, I honestly don't think God was mean to the lions. I think he gave them an appetite suppressant <laughs> or something, um, and I think he had in that den the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And I bet you those lions even purred and snuggled up. And it was just, yeah, Sharon, you agree with me? Snuggled up in that, you know, kind of in that fur and just, and the angel was down there. And I think it was a really wonderful time. And also, we know... He probably had a good night's sleep because, what do we have? At the break of day, the king rises in haste, and he runs to a Daniel, Daniel crying out in anguish. He's, he's a nervous wreck, sleepless one night, panicked. The king there, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you have served continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And what does Daniel say in 21? Jumps out of bed, bright and cheery, doesn't he? They didn't have to, oh, you know, ain't why to sleep on the hard floor and all this lion poop. No! Oh, king! Guess what? The God, God sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions that have no harm on me. He is a, delightful in the morning and just, that's how I'd like to see it. I don't know. I like that part of it. I never really thought about it before, but sometimes children ask us very interesting questions and kind of makes our or start thinking about stuff. On a side note, I will tell you this, though. A couple weeks ago, when they were studying Lazarus coming out of the grave, and they did in the children's thing, they did this wrapped up in toilet paper. So Ezra asked me, Grammy, why was Lazarus wrapped in toilet paper? So we had to get into that one. (laughs) Anyways. Anyways. Back to the story. God allows us to go into lion's dens so he can show us that he's the master of creation. He allows these things to happen to us, and we go in step of faith so we can see just how the most high God will take care of us. All right, let's wrap it up here. Verse 19. It's interesting that when he said, Darius acknowledged that you serve, the, serve your God continually. It helps us to think that even in that lion's den, he was serving God. It doesn't matter where we are. We're serving God. We don't get breaks from serving God. 
We're serving him. In good times, in bad times, he doesn't change. We, and we don't change in how we serve God. It's also interesting to pull out of 21 that uh, Darius was really focused on giving Daniel's God credit. Daniel answers when he says that God sent an angel and shut the mouth of the lion. He also says that... Um, They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. God found him blameless. Again, it's not like he's sinless, but it was his faith, his faith in God that God could declare him blameless. So our faith and belief in Jesus Christ and the price he paid for us is what completely takes off our, puts us in the robes of righteousness. It's a substitution. He took on our sins. He's given us his righteousness. So God the Father now sees us blameless, faultless. Daniel's name means my God is the judge, and God judged him blameless because of his faith. He also says that to the king that I have done nothing against you, O king. Yeah, he broke the law, but it wasn't against the king. He did not do it against the king or against the king's best interests. And Daniel was preserved um, in, in the book of faith, Hebrews 11, 33. It's probably the one who says, as one who was by faith stopped the mouths of lions. But we also want to look at, because it doesn't always, it doesn't always happen like this with his servants. Right after verse 33 in 11, where it mentions that, stop the mouths of lions, there's a list of ones who, it wasn't so pleasant their ending. They were more or less martyred. Quenched the power of a fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made in war. Women received back their dead from a, some were, some were, there we go, some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again on a better life, suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisoned stone, sawn in two, that was Isaiah probably, killed with the sword. They were tortured, they were killed. They weren't saved from the lion's den. The point is this, we always serve God, we serve him. Sometimes he calls us to win by living, sometimes we, he calls us to win by our dying, but we are all called to serve. But whatever it is, it's all to glorify him. Verse 24 tells us that, And the king commanded all those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion's den. By the time they hit the bottom... The lions had overpowered them. All right, they get thrown in there with their families and everything. Yeah, it sounds pretty brutal, pretty brutal, but the law in the land at that time was that um, if somebody falsely accuses somebody else on the account of the guilt of one, all the kindred also perish. So if you're going to... If you messed up, if you, you know, falsely accuse somebody or sin or break a law, it's your whole family. Wouldn't this be a deterrent to crime? 
I mean, I know we're not going to go there, but wouldn't that be eternal? Wouldn't these people think twice about something like that? It's not going to happen. But in Persian law, it happened, all right? So, plus the fact that they were torn apart before they even hit the bottom of the pit tells you that the, the lions were, there was, it was genuinely angelic uh, protection that um, the natural these lions were hungry and they, you know, they did their own lion thing when lions are hungry. So more evidence that they couldn't just say, well, the lions just lost their appetite that night. No, it was divine intervention. Psalm 7, 14 to 16 says this. Behold, a wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He digs a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. A perfect example of that. But they were plotting for evil for Daniel. They fell into that same trap for him. Finally, the king does a decree um, because of this testimony of Daniel. And once again, once again, the Most High God brought the ruler of the mightiest world empire to acknowledge his greatness and his power and his kingdom would truly last forever. We saw it with Nebuchadnezzar and we saw it, see it now with Darius. So, a couple of things. I know you probably talked about it in your group about this. Can, there's parallels here to Jesus and the death and the stone and the resurrection, the innocent, all that kind of stuff. But I want to point out this. I already covered that. Verse 28 says, This Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This story of the lion's den is in here for us. This world is not our home. We are exiles here. God preserved Daniel, promoted him, uh, you know, a lot of wonderful things, used his testimony worldwide. I mean, it was a wonderful demonstration of, of God's, how he cares for his people, providence. God preserved him and kept him alive unharmed throughout his whole life while he was there. Under different kings he survived until the time of King Cyrus when his prayers for Jerusalem were finally heard. Ezra 1, 1 to 3. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this Cyrus here, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, fulfilled by the, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, this Darius guy here, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with you and let them go up to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. This is what happened after this lion's den thing. Cyrus, or Darius, said, okay, send the exiles back. And we know from Jeremiah 29 that it would be 70 years. 
Daniel's about 70 years right now. Now, we don't know historically if Daniel ever went back. We don't know that. But Daniel lived long enough to know that those prayers, praying toward Jerusalem, the repentance of his people were able to bring him back. This story is for us. When the end of this world, this earthly world, comes to an end, we can know with confidence that God is going to bring us home. He's going to bring us home. Um, His providence is there. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of life. So, this chapter 7 is in here now. As we look into the rest of Daniel and what the, the prophecy is for the end times that are coming, that's right around the corner, we've got to know he's with us in the lion's den. There's going to be ugly, 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 ugly things that are going to happen. But we don't change. We continue to serve him. God, thank you so much for your promise, for your faithfulness, for your love, for your word, for your Holy Spirit that that takes care of us and comforts us and gives us wisdom and guidance. We love you, Jesus. We love you. And we're so grateful that you are taking care of us, that you are the most high God. Amen.